Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Our subject matter this morning is keeping it real and respectful. Uh, the series is entitled, Hey God, Do You Have a Minute? This is a prayer series where we're looking at uh, Jesus' teaching on prayer, one of the portions, the many portions in Scripture where Jesus taught on prayer. So let's begin in our text, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning in the fifth verse, reading down through the ninth verse. Jesus said, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Keeping it real and keeping it respectful. Uh, let me give you a working title for uh, the subject matter of prayer, it's really communing and fellowshipping with God. If you wanted to break it down into a very simple definition, it's communing and fellowshipping with the Father. And this is, Jesus' teaching is in response to the disciples asking the question, Lord, teach us how to pray. So one of the first things that he did, he says, this is how I don't want you to do it. I don't want you to be like the hypocrites. I don't want you to be like the heathen. But this is how I do want you to do it. And that's what we're going to really be emphasizing today, being real and being respectful. So we looked last week a little bit about, you know, the hypocrites and the heathen. And, of course, we don't want to fall into that category and we don't want to be like them. Therefore, who do we want to be like? Well, we want to be like the people that Jesus was teaching how to pray. We want to be like his disciples that long to have that relational aspect that Jesus had with the Father. We don't, we don't want to just put on the mask and go through the motions like the hypocrite, nor do we want to sound pious and important like the heathen, like we're all that and a Snickers and just, you know, rambling, rambling, babbling, 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 babbling in hopes that somehow if we say enough words over a long period of time, that perhaps the Lord will have an ear to hear what we have to say. We also know that a few weeks ago when we looked in Luke's gospel, chapter 11, this is Luke's account of the same teaching of Jesus, that Jesus likened our relationship in prayer to a friend and to a father, and that Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he, he used two great stories to illustrate this principle. And he said, you all have friends and no matter what time of day or what time of night or no matter what the need is, because they're your friend, if you go to their house and ask them for help, they will help you. Not because it's convenient, not because it's easy, but because you've been persistent as a friend and as a result of that, your persistence is paid off. They're going to get out of bed and they're going to give you what you need. And of course, God is much better than our best friend here on the earth. He is faithful. And Scripture says that he neither slumbers nor sleeps. So unlike our friends who we have to awaken out of a slumber or sleep to help us sometimes in an hour of need, God is always on call. He's always awake. And I'm thankful, so thankful, I know, as you are for that. And then he said, 
All right, which of you being a father, if your son asks for a loaf of bread, you're going to give him a scorpion or a stone? Uh, in other words, God gives good gifts to his kids. Just like biological fathers want the best for their children, no one wants more for you than your heavenly father longs to give and to provide for you. So when we change our mindset to approaching God in a way that we would approach a friend or we would respect him in the manner in which we would our own family members, then this brings it down into a much more relational an understandable way to commune and to fellowship with God. Prayer is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And it's done in a way that God is able to work in our lives and we're able to grow because of his involvement with us. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That's in Revelation 3.20. Consider what Jesus is declaring there. That as he knocks on the door, if we hear the knock and respond by opening, he will come and dine with us. The word dine is the word fellowship. This is why prayer can be defined as Jesus fellowshipping with us and us fellowshipping with us, uh, with him. It's it's like sitting at the table with the Lord and having a conversation is how I want you to begin to picture your prayer time. But it's not done on the street corner and it's not done in a way that you're seen by men, but it's done in a secret place. It's done in a safe place. It's done in a place where you go in and you close every outside distraction out and you begin to fellowship and commune with your father and your father who sees and recognizes where you are in that secret place will take care of any reward that you're concerned about openly. And he will do that in his own will, in his own timing and for his own glory. And we're aware of that. But so being respectful is one of the things that I believe the church needs to have a few reminders about. You know, we're, we're uh, a little too loose sometimes in our relationship with the Lord. We're not as respectful. We're not as reverent. We don't hallow His name in the manner that we should. We, uh, we say all the right words. We go through all, you know, the, the right, uh, I, I think, uh, phraseologies, but, you know, have you quieted, have I quieted myself in a safe and a sacred place to where we can commune and fellowship with him? Have we blocked out all, all distractions? Now, I, I know there's exceptions. There's, there's times where things occur uh, outside of the secret place. Uh, but I believe, and I'm still thoroughly convinced, that if we would take care of the things in the secret place, that there would probably be less drama in the open avenues of our life. And while God's ears are open to our prayers anytime, any place, I do believe that by being consistent in a private place, being respectful unto the Father, it will help us to have a more graceful life outside of our prayer closet. I think there's, there's things that we can do on the front side. You know, we can be proactive or reactive is another way to say it. I mean, we can we can pray after something happens or we can pray before it happens. And, you know, praying before is just waking up with an awareness that my life is not my own, 
that my steps are ordered by the Lord. And while I make plans, the Lord directs and orders every aspect of my life. And I'm not in control or the times and seasons of my life, but I want to be aware of the time and the seasons. And so I go to the Father early and often. I commune. I fellowship with Him. I listen. I long to please Him. I open up His Word. It is a joy to open up His Word and to hear the counsel and the commandments and to understand his ways and his will and his purpose. And it prepares me for what is going to unfold during the day. I believe that uh, there's many saints of old that said when their schedule was more than they could bear, they spent more time in prayer. When their schedule was more than they could bear, they didn't exclude prayer. They spent more time in prayer. They understood that that was a place that would help them, that would prepare them, would give them counsel, would give them wisdom, would give them understanding, would allow God to go before them and open doors that they need to walk through. And as, as also, he would stop the work of the enemy before it even came. Because one of the ways in which Jesus instructed us to pray was lead us around temptation, and it's for a purpose, for your name's sake. We can't avoid temptations, but there are certain temptations, I believe, as we're consistent and respectful in our prayer time, that we're actually being detoured or led around, and we don't have to go through all the drama. So Charlene and I uh, just drove yesterday back from Colorado Springs. It's just a little jaunt down the road, about 12 hours, and along the way, I am reminded of one of my my favorite, if I, if I was running for public office, this would be my slogan, end road work. <laughs> because you see those signs everywhere and they're detouring you around what? Rough patches of road that need repair. They're leading me around a place where I could be damaged, where my vehicle be damaged, where other people could be injured. But that would be my mantra. I I would have it on every poster. Vote for Doug Brady. End road work. And you would be like, yes, we're voting for that guy. Right? They don't mean like end as if it never will happen again. But it's like the end of this area being repaired where you have just been detoured around and now you're on safe ground again. And while sometimes when God leads us around temptation for his namesake, it looks like Uh, You know, it's inconvenient, it's out of the way, it's not the path we usually take. We really are unaware of what he is protecting us from till we get to the end. And he said, I just protected you in roadwork. I just protected you because you prayed. I would say that prayer does more for the settling of our soul than what we would even realize. So neither the hypocrite nor the heathen are respectful or real in their relationships. That's one of the reasons that Jesus said, don't be like them. Uh, They're phonies. They're fakes. They're like a $3 bill. They're just not real. So don't be like them when it comes to praying. So that safe and that sacred place really is something that you need to determine. A time and a place. You remember in Genesis 3, 9, God asked Adam, where are you? Isn't that an interesting question? It's not as if God needed GPS, uh, as if Adam was off his radar. It was, it was a question in light of you're typically here 
with me in the cool of the day, but you're not with me today. Where are you at? Of course, God never asks a question because he needs an answer. God asks a question to help us to get into a better place. So when he asked Adam, where are you? Adam's response was, I heard you, I heard you. But I was fearful and therefore I hid. Let me remind you, as I remind myself, that sin always breaks our fellowship with God. There's no song in our heart when there's open sin in our life. So after Adam and Eve gave place to sin, it broke their union and their fellowship. It didn't change God's posture towards them, but they are now not in a good position in their own heart, in their own mind. They're dealing with guilt and shame and fear and condemnation. But the Lord comes and comforts them, provides for them, and promises that he is going to make a covenant and send a Savior into the world. God has been faithful even when we're not. But living a life of obedience gives us confidence, gives us assurance, and and gives us, you know, um, the wherewithal to be conscious or discerning about what's going on about us. So I want to encourage you to be proactive in your prayers and you'll be less reactive when it comes to the problems that life presents you. Let me give you a quick review also. When we begin to develop, to develop our prayer life, we've talked about that moment of tension that anytime you do something new, it's new. And because of that, uh, it seems out of place. And But the more that you begin to respond to the Lord as a friend and as a father, the more that you begin to commune and fellowship with him, it will just become something that is a part of who you are as a human being, as a person. It just comes out of you. Uh, when you talk to the Lord, it won't be weird or awkward or strange. It won't be as if, you know, uh, your conversation lacks confidence. You believe that the one who made the ear has an ear to hear your prayers. Uh, you're not just throwing words out and, and hoping that they stick. You're not playing darts in the dark and, and hope you hit a bullseye. There's, a, there's an awareness that you have because you've been consistent that you have a father and you're his beloved children. You're his son and his daughter. And the relationship begins to take that shape and that dynamic. But if you only do it occasionally, if you only do it when you're in trouble, if you only cry out to the to God in, in times of desperation, it's almost like he's a bail bondsman. Uh, you know, just call 888-642-11117 and, and we'll, James Bail Bond will get you out. And, and, and while God is merciful, everybody say merciful. Yeah. I, I, would, I would implore you not to treat him like a bail bondsman, but to begin to develop that sweet fellowship where you sense him knocking and you respond and say, Lord, would you come in and let's fellowship around this subject matter in my life, around this situation. Or let me just take a moment while we sit and dine and fellowship and remind you how grateful I am to have you in my life, how important you are to me, how I am so overwhelmed by your mercy and your kindness and your grace. I had this week uh, an opportunity at the missions conference to reconnect with a couple of dear friends that I only see once a year. 
you know what it's like. You see them and instantly you pick up the conversation where you left it off a year ago. And But we also met some new people. And uh, that's always one of our prayers is that not only would we be able to spend some time with some close friends, but Lord, there's others that I know you and somehow in your divine networking want us to be a part of their life and them to be a part of us and them and that divine entanglement so that the kingdom can grow and we can be a blessing to them and in reciprocity they can therefore be a blessing to us and we have that experience also but it's it's wonderful to me to sit down with someone that I'm comfortable and I have history with and that I have great respect and that I can be real with and I just begin to to visit with them. But it, the conversation for me with those friends that I've established relationships with throughout the years really is like, man, it's just so good to see you. It's so good to be in your presence. It's so good to hear your voice. And then we may talk about things outside of the weather because I don't care about the weather. Wherever I am, whatever the, whatever the weather is, it is. So I don't talk about non-essential stupid things I, I don't talk about things that don't have any substance I, I talk about them their family I talk about their health I talk about the soundness and the wellness of their mind I want to know how you are you matter to me you're in my heart I carry you around with me even though I'm only having this this conversation face to face but imagine God's not like that God is ever present he is that friend that you don't just get to see once a year. He is that friend that you can fellowship with every day. And that's an intentional choice. And the friendship and the memories and the camaraderie and the closeness just grows. Can, you, can I get a hearty amen? amen? I'm thankful that Jesus brought it down into that that simplicity, the simplicity of what Jesus is teaching. But isn't it interesting how we still make it so weird and strange and awkward? When you talk to a friend, you don't change your voice. As much as I'd like to have a voice like Charlton Heston or James Earl Jones or uh, Liam, what, Neeson, uh, as much as I would like to be Aslan, I... I don't have that baritone type of voice, but I don't have to with my father. I don't have to be an actor. I don't have to be a hypocrite. I don't have to act like a heathen who's a stranger and be fearful and worried and anxious. I, I can go to my father who has brought me into his family and adopted me and calls me by name and knows everything about me. And if you don't know the personal touch of God, I pray that you would have a, a personal touch with God because he may be God to the world, but he's father to us. And it's interesting how sometimes we're with people and we ask them to pray and the tone of their voice changes and they try to be like James Earl Jones or, or, <clears throat> oh God. And it's like G-A-W-D. It's not even G-O-D, it's God. Oh God, we are but little people in 
thine presence we stand before thee, humbly broken and contrite. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're, you're, you're like getting ready to audition for a play. You're doing the thing Jesus said, don't do. But why do we do it? That tension. We're saving face. You know, we have. In any environment, pride can be a problem. Saving face, pride can be a problem. Don't make it that way with prayer. He already knows. Jesus said, your father knows, therefore, talk to him like your father. Do it in a respectful way. Carve out that place. And your father who sees and hears in secret, will take care of everything that you're concerned about outwardly. It will all unfold the way that it needs to. You don't need to get your hand in it. You don't need to muddy the water. You don't need to show up and make sure it's all going to go down the way it's supposed to. He can do it. And He will do it. The test is to believe, and the truth is, His ears are open to our prayers. So we've also been taught during this series that when problems loom large and our plans are not panning out or when our determined efforts fall short, we need to know the Lord is there for us to call upon. That committing our works and our ways to Him permit Him to make sweet lemonade out of our sour lemon life. And as we wait upon the Lord, He will renew and strengthen us. So keeping it real and respectful. Let's look again, once again, if you would, at verse 6 and verse 9. But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Genesis chapter 18, if you would. Uh, find that opening or turn to it. It will be on the screen for those of you that are online. And yes, I'm aware that you're there and that you're not far from the Lord. He is with you. He loves you. And he is on your side. Genesis chapter 18. We're going to pick up in the 22nd verse. And this is a window into a conversation that Uh, Abraham is going to have with the Lord about the city of Sodom. This is an opportunity for us to have a sneak preview into what a respectful and a real prayer looks and sounds like. So the Lord has already begun to deal with Abraham about what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angels of the Lord came and were a part of this conversation. They they didn't show up in angelic form in that particular time in Scripture. They, they showed up as traveling uh, servants, and Abram welcomed him, Abraham welcomed them into his home. And, but they departed, and this is the angels departed, and uh, went to go spy out Sodom and Gomorrah and to bring a report back to the Lord. And that leaves Abraham and the Lord alone. So this is a prayer closet moment. This is prayer that is respectful and real. Let's pick it up in the 22nd verse. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham 
still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and he said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Question mark. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? This is not a man that is, you know, rehearsing lines or just babbling. This is a man who has some knowledge about who he's talking to. He's talking to the just judge of all the earth. He addresses him in a very respectful way. He understands he has the power to raise up and to put down, to kill or to give life. He understands who he is addressing, but he's real about it. And what he is doing is he's appealing to God's nature, which is love. And he's saying, I I know you have the power I know you're the just judge of all the earth, but as the just judge of all the earth, I'm appealing to you. And listen, it is an appeal just like someone would present their case in a court of law to a judge. I'm appealing to you. Will you do what's right? I know you're going to do what's right. And so they're having this moment. And the Lord said, so it's not just Abraham. It's now the Lord interjecting. And he said in verse 26, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed, now I am, uh, I am, uh, I, I who am, but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for a lack of five? And he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy. And he spoke to him again. And so suppose there would be 40 found there. And he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. And he said, I will not do it for the for if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I would not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. So this is a conversation. This is real. This is respectful. This is reverent. This is done with a tremendous amount of understanding and knowledge and history. And this is not the first time that Abraham and the Lord have a conversation. They have worked through the tension. Abraham has passed the test. He knows the truth. Uh, he has been in times of trouble where he's been hemmed in on every side. He, is, he has faced opposition. He has had seasons of doubt. He has wearied himself in trying to do it in his own strength. And he has discovered that having a conversation with God and having a moment where he can spend with his Heavenly Father is better than him worrying, fretting, trying to fix it, with him wearing himself out, trying to make it happen prematurely. And so he didn't have the ability, Abraham did not have the ability to save these people. But God did, and he made an appeal on these people's behalf. He's praying on behalf of those that need God, that need to know of his goodness and his faithfulness. And that is real and that's relational. And that's the part that I want you to understand and see. There's layers and layers of teaching here. 
But this morning we're talking about real and relational. At the end of the conversation, let God do his part. You walk away and you keep doing your part. Don't try to play God and do his part. Once you've had the conversation and once you've committed it into the hands of the Lord and once you've waited upon the Lord and you've had that moment where you've had that holy conversation, get on with your responsibilities, go on with your day, get on with your life and let God oversee it and take care of it. Amen? Don't leave your prayer closet saying, well, I wonder if he heard me. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, you know you have the petitions that you desire of him. Walk away from that time and he's with you. He said, I'll never leave you. But in that time, it's time for you, right, to get in your car and go to work. It's time for you to get up and do some laundry and get on with taking care of the yard. The three burnt pieces of grass that are there to nurture and to take care of and and take care of your flowers and take your dog for a walk and take your spouse out on a date and go and celebrate your kid's life and know that the things you talk to the father about in the prayer closet, he is working out during the course of your day. And the next day, don't have God come to you and say, where are you? Get up the next day and do it again. And get up the next day and do it again. And get up the next day and do it again. And don't make it like a theatrical production. And don't use a lot of words. Talk to the Father. He already knows. Talk to the Father. You say, well, yeah, but I have to, I feel like I have to carry some of it. No, you don't. I know someone that they won't let anyone else talk to their kids but them. They believe they're the only viable witness because they are so petrified and fearful that someone would say something to their children that would cause them to be turned off to God. They won't let anyone talk to their kids. That is called control and fear. My prayer is anyone can talk to my son because I'm praying that God would send the right people into his life and that God would use... Anyone, at any time, at any place. And I believe that. I believe if God used a donkey, that we're all qualified. And isn't it interesting, though, how Jesus wants us to learn something about ourselves? How much of a control freak are you? On a level of like 1 to 10, Doug? You really want me to? Yeah, God already knows. So why don't you ratchet it down a little bit? God, you know, I'm a little wound too tight. I'm probably an 8 and a 10. Okay, God, 8.5, no 9. All right, I'm bumping 10, God. I like to be in charge of everything at every time and every place. And But can you help me get it to a 9? And, and Lord, what about an 8? Can you help me get it to an 8? Lord, don't be angry with me. Are you guys picking up where I'm going? How about a five? Can you help me get it to a five? Lord, I know I've asked a lot, but what about a three? Can it be less about me and more about you? Can you, can you do? And, and I promise to walk away. Could, but could you help me walk away? Cause sometimes I walk away and I take everything that I talk to you about and I take it with me out the door. Can I just leave it at your feet? And if you struggle with that, this is why you have to have a relationship with God as a father and as a friend. Otherwise, it's all phony. It's fake. 
The production is over. You went into your prayer closet. You played your part. Now you walk out and now you act in the public as if you're some holier than thou self-righteous individual. And Jesus said, no, that's not how it works. So the prettiest girl in high school sat in front of me in history class. She was Pastor Tom's sister. I should say Coach Tom. Coach Tom led me to the Lord. His sister was in my class. He was nine years older than his youngest sister. She was the prettiest girl by far. She wouldn't even go out with boys in the high school. She dated college men. She's so pretty. But, and she was not very open or receptive to the spiritual matters, the things of the Lord, salvation. Because she got a lot of attention. And uh, history class. We're getting ready to take a test. And I studied and I prepared, but I'm petrified. And I like history. But I kept thinking to myself, you know, well, this big test, moment's about to happen. White light moment. They're going to put the paper in front of you. They're going to say you have 60 minutes to complete this test. The end of 60 minutes, put down your number two pencil and set it aside. You may not write on your paper any more times after that. So I'm feeling the pressure. And I humbly just put my head on the desk and I said, Lord, I know you know everything. Now, this is me just being real. I said, Father, I know you know everything, and I've done everything I know to prepare and for this test. Somehow in your mercy, would you help me? I'm afraid right now. Would you be kind to me? And I guess I'm saying it loud enough that Jane hears me. She turns around. She said, Doug, you're praying. I said, oh, yeah, I'm praying. <laughs> I'm praying. I don't know what test you're facing. I don't know what trial you're going through. Some of you have shared some things that, you know, you're facing or going through right now. But I know there's some things that maybe you just need to talk to the Father about. And he knows and he hears and he understands. And since he is in that position, why not give it all to him? The good news is on the backside, you know, here I am standing before you and I have a high school diploma from Hutchinson High School, which means somehow I got through history. It's the grace of God. I don't know what your test, your trial, your burden, your care, your concern is, but I know you can take it to the Father in prayer. I know you can leave it there. And um, I, I didn't pray to be heard by Jane. I That was that moment where I knew it's now or never. So right now is a good time as ever. Um I love the dialogue. I love that over a period of time, you'll be more comfortable in his presence. You'll be more at home. The tension will leave. You would have passed the test. You would get to the place that you know the truth. And yes, in times of opposition or resistance or weariness, He still says, come. He still says, call. He still says, commit. But this is real, and this is relational, and this is with you and your father.
For some people, uh, you commute to work. Why not make that your prayer closet? Make your car your prayer closet. I had a, uh, a 1981 Chevy 350 short bed. had a 350 engine in it. It may be one of the best engines that, that Chevy made. And had a short bed, wood pickup. And when I got this truck, I asked the dealer to take the radio out of it. And I said, just take it off the bill, take the radio out of it. I never had a radio in that vehicle because that was my prayer closet. And I traveled to work and go to different work sites. And I would get in that vehicle, and instead of turning on and listening to non-essential information like talk radio, where someone can bring up a subject matter and four hours later still be talking about it and he hasn't gotten any farther in his conversation, and yet he has a great voice, and so we think he's really smart. And I'm thinking, a smart person uses less words, not more words. Little caveats there. So maybe if you're a commuter, um, consider just making that a place where you fellowship and commune with the Lord. And then once you've had that conversation, walk out of the vehicle, walk out and represent him in faith. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.